Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk, I'm Elissa Branch, and this is Housing Wire Daily. Today's Housing Wire Daily features the first episode of Houses in Motion. The mini-series is hosted by Housing Wire's senior real estate reporter, Matthew Blake, and will explore various topics in the real estate market. In today's episode, Housing Wire Managing Editor James Kleiman joins Blake to discuss the DOJ and NAR settlement. Matt also interviews Max Bespris, Assistant Professor of Sociology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, about some of the economic incentives driving the real estate market. But before we listen, here's a brief word from our sponsor. At Atlantic Bay Mortgage Group, we know your vision of success is unique to you. That's why your goals and our culture of support go hand in hand. We give you the tools and support you need to thrive and live your best life. Come home to Atlantic Bay. Visit JoinAtlanticBay.com to explore what's possible. Atlantic Bay Mortgage Group, NMLS number 72043, is an equal opportunity employer. Hello, and welcome to Houses in Motion. Every week as part of HW Media's Housing Wire Daily, myself, Matt Blake, real estate reporter at Housing Wire, discuss the most important topics in the U.S. real estate economy. We'll do some palace intrigue, what brokerages are up, which are down, what's the deal with Compass, but mostly we'll look at the issues that define real estate in 2021. These include the future of commissions, the point of a brokerage, how real estate is different in different parts of the country, and why there aren't more agents of color. For first Houses in Motion, I'll chat with Max Bespris, Assistant Professor of Sociology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Max will discuss the U.S. Justice Department's recent withdrawal from a National Association of Realtors antitrust settlement. He'll also provide insight into why agents and consumers behave like they do. But first, to kick off our very first show, I want to uh, bring in Housing Wire's managing editor, James Kleinman, my editor. Uh, Welcome, James. Hey, Matt. Thanks very much. So uh, just very briefly, uh, what we're going to do with Houses in Motion each week, we're just going to sort of review the week that was in real estate. And one thing that was a big deal uh, before the 4th of July weekend and has remained so is that the National Association of Realtors had a settlement with the Justice Department over real estate commissions. The Justice Department backed out of that settlement last week, says it wants to pursue a broader investigation against the National Association of Realtors. So it seems like the NAR, uh, by their own admission, is sort of blindsided by this decision. They don't know what to do yet. They haven't come up with best practices of how to respond to the situation. James, what stands out to you about this DOJ NAR standoff at this point? Yeah, I think you really hit it right there, Matt, in in your intro, which is the the NAR, I think of them having covered the industry for for a number of years now, is is they're they're so polished, they're so prepared. It it feels like they're always a step ahead of of anybody else. You know, they're they're just really, really, really professional, and they always seem to have... um, like a Varus from Game of Thrones, you know, they, they always have some whisperer, they, they have some sense of what's 
what's going to happen next. And and that did not happen here uh, from everyone I've spoken to. And it sounds like from people that you've also spoken to, Matt. And so that's that to me is the most surprising thing that the NAR was caught totally flat footed on. I, I think it was July 1st. It was just before the holiday, um, pretty late on a Friday when, when I think a lot of people in the news industry call this like a, like a Friday news dump, you know, mm-hmm. where, where you, you put out all the news you don't really want people to, to write about. Uh, you do it just as they're going home. So, so that, that was the biggest surprise in and of itself. And um, I, I think also what's interesting about it is if you read the press release from the DOJ uh, they they talk a lot about the idea of commissions and they make it a point yeah. in a few different passages of talking about how I, I don't have the number in front of me, but it was something like Americans paid over $85 billion in commissions in 2020. And the Justice Department, of course, is very concerned with, with consumer rights and and, and making sure that uh, you know consumers aren't paying more than they should um, you know, for, for commissions or anything else, I guess. But that tells me that there's something that will happen related to commissions. There, there are so many things in the agreement that the NAR struck with the Justice Department that were not at all having to do with commissions, but that is what they seem to focus on. And so I, I think that's something to look for, absolutely. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to look at going forward. I mean, you know a lot more than I do about sort of the mortgage space. And I know that uh, our mortgage professionals, they've had some regulation of like how much they can get from from a sale. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So, so mortgage is is a lot more regulated than um, real estate commissions. You know, real estate commissions are really kind of self policed and and sort of you know the the idea that the standard split is the the sell side agent. You know, they they get let's say they negotiate a six percent with their client, the the seller of the home. In most situations, they'll split that six percent with the buyer's side agent. So it'll be 3%, 3%. You know, in, in other markets, it's, it's a little bit different. And so, you know, it might be two and a half, two and a half. Um, but they try to be really consistent about this. And so, but the comp is directly related to the sale of the home. Um, and so they're both in kind of a weird way incentivized. Not everybody agrees with this point, but incentivized to sell a home at a higher price. So, uh, yeah, the, the mortgage space is a little bit different in that, you know, there, there is what's called the LO comp rule and the LO has to be very clear and disclosed to every party, you know, how much they might make on the deal. Typically, it's about 100 basis points, um, you know, but that's that's not at all the case in uh, real estate, which is a little more fluid, I think, is a good way to, to phrase it. For sure. Well, thanks a lot, James. And that's actually a good segue into talking with Max uh, because he looked at real estate agents in New York City, Manhattan, Brooklyn, who basically, in his words, upsold consumers who were able to sort of, at times, not even disclose to consumers that they were making money as real estate agents. So, so far, it's been a pretty uh, unregulated terrain, one that the trade group representing agents has been able to largely dictate. So we will see how that changes going forward. But thanks a lot for appearing on this very first episode. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Matt. I appreciate it. Hey, everyone. We are back here at Houses in Motion, uh, part of the Housing Wire daily podcast. Uh, This is Matthew Blake, senior real estate reporter with Housing Wire. And I am here with Max Bespris, 
Max is a professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison in sociology, and um, he studies uh, why people make the choices they do um, when they're buying things in the market. And Max, why don't you tell us a little bit about sort of how uh, your academic work intersects with real estate? Thanks, Matthew. I'm I'm really happy to be here. Uh, thank you for mm-hmm. having me. I studied real estate agents specifically, actually, for for almost a decade uh, in New York, and recently published a book called Upsold, which is about how real estate agents affect people's housing decisions. And I was really interested in this question because, as your listeners probably know, housing is this really important commodity. And I mean important in the Mm -hmm. sense that it's financially the biggest purchase that most Americans ever make. Mm-hmm. But it's also culturally and symbolically this really definitive ideal about what it means to be middle class or upper class or have made it, right? The ability to buy mm-hmm. a house. Uh, more than that, though, it's also uh, uh, an intense form of stratification, housing. So we have lots of differences by lots of different demographic categories in assets and wealth, and that's mostly mm-hmm. around home value. We also have pretty intense residential segregation in the United States, in most American cities. And what that means is that the housing market is sorting people in ways that end up uh, creating more inequality. And so for all of these reasons, I was really interested in this question of how people decide where to live. And this is a question that a lot of sociologists are interested in. But one thing that not a lot of people had studied before is the role of real estate agents. So what I ended up doing was following around a group of real estate agents for uh, over two years while they met with clients, while they uh, went to open houses, while they did showings, while they were at their offices. How they And I really wanted to observe how they talked about houses, how they talked about different neighborhoods, how they talked about value. Mm-hmm. And then I also collected a lot of what we call quantitative data, so statistical data, where I was able to run regression models to show that what real estate agents do actually does have an impact on housing prices. And basically the the upshot of the book, I would say, and the reason it's called um, Upsold, (laughs) is I found that in a market uh, like New York City's, particularly post-Great Recession, where housing prices are really booming, real estate agents are doing some really um, intense work to reorient people's ideas of what is valuable. And by that, I mean they are pretty good at getting people to spend more than what they expect to. Now, obviously, there's a ton of market pressures that are also driving prices up. But what I show in my quantitative models is that real estate agents are also having an effect on housing prices, that neighborhoods that have more real estate agents over time see higher increases in housing prices. And I link that to the observational data I have from my ethnographic work where I elaborate the processes by which real estate agents are upselling home buyers. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. I mean, I guess I guess a couple of things I think about that. Like, well, one is sort of, you know, wow, these real estate agents sound very manipulative. They're kind of forcing the the consumer to like desire a home like at a price range that they didn't initially anticipate. Another might be that you know, while the agent is is really good at at their job, sort of, you know, real estate agents make money 
uh, based on uh, a percentage of, of the sale of the home. So, I mean, w- whichever the angle you take, why were they effective in, in terms of boosting uh, the value of not just individual homes, but, you know, in, in entire neighborhoods? And I think uh, Brooklyn and Manhattan was where you were looking at. Yeah, so most of my research was in Brooklyn and Manhattan, obviously two very highly priced uh, real estate markets, uh, markets that are were also increasing in price at a pretty rapid clip when I was doing my research. And I think that's a great question because in my book, I try very hard not to blame real estate agents. I don't think hmm. these real estate agents are individual real estate agents are acting nefariously or, or consciously in a way that is... Um, trying to rip off their clients. In fact, I think they're generally doing very well by their clients, but their Mm -hmm. market position, the structure of the market and the structure of the deals that they make puts them in a position where their interests lie at increasing both the volume and the worth of housing transactions, because obviously they make money off of commissions. They want prices to be higher. But I think they also genuinely believed that rising prices was a good thing overall. It was good yeah. for neighbors. It was good for their clients, right? If, if their buyers bought a house and that house continued to increase in value, that's a good thing, right? I'm not, I, I certainly don't want to say that these, these individual agents are doing anything bad um, by trying to sort of actively get people to spend more money. I think there's a lot of reasons why they're doing that, a lot of rational and obvious reasons. But I think what's happening certainly in big cities like new york or you know la san francisco denver boston these are all places miami right that are having um really increasing housing prices uh, at a very fast pace uh, during the same time that i'm doing my field work yeah and i think what real estate agents are thinking is that by getting people to spend more money i'm actually doing them a little bit of a favor i'm actually matching them to the house that they actually want. And that's what their job is, really. That's why we hire a real estate agent. We want them to help us find the place that matches our needs, our desires, right? That fits the best. And I think real estate agents, like I said, actually believe that when they showed someone who said they wanted to spend $1 million on a fancy apartment in Manhattan, started showing them apartments listed at $2 million, I think they're doing that because they genuinely believed that these buyers actually were better fits for these $2 million apartments. Uh, mm-hmm. So again, it's not about real estate agents, I think, trying to rip off buyers. It's really more about the structure of the market that uh, pushes prices up and reorients people's price points. And so I remember one in particular, which is there's a single guy who's recently divorced, who's mm-hmm. uh, a very well-off doctor looking for an apartment in Manhattan. And you know he says he wants to spend around $2 million on an apartment. And this real estate agent starts taking him around to apartments listed around $2 million. But they really just talk about the things that they don't like about these apartments. They talk Mm. about small windows or that apartment buildings are too distant from subway stations or that there's no doorman or things like that. There's there's just really sort of negative on all of these apartments that they're seeing. And after they've seen a bunch, you know, the buyer is pretty disappointed. He says to his real estate agent, I don't think we've seen anything really unique. Yeah. And the real estate agent, you know, is very apologetic and says, you're right, it's my fault. This is my job is to show you something that you like. And so the real estate agent starts to take this buyer to different apartments, but all of these new apartments are listed at more than $3 million. So a 
good chunk of change bigger than what this buyer said he had wanted to spend. But this buyer starts reacting very positively to these more expensive places. Um, and I think some of that is facilitated by the real estate agent who talks these places up, right? Who um, mm -hmm. compliments them, who, you know, beautiful moldings or building materials or great architectural styles. And I think the buyer agrees, right? And, you know, I think it's debatable whether or not the buyer would agree on his own or whether or not the real estate agent is shaping his desires. But I think the point is that this person, this buyer, does end up spending over $3 million on an apartment, you know, a very large amount of money, mm -hmm. more than he said he wanted to. But in the end, he's very satisfied. I interviewed him after and I said, look, you know, you said you wanted to spend $2 million. You end up spending more than $3 million. How did this happen? He says, you know, I didn't think I wanted to spend that much, but, you know, eventually I did. And so the argument, again, is that these real estate agents, as they take people through the market, I do mm -hmm. think they reorient or shape uh, people's perceptions about what is desirable. And so it's not necessarily a, a, a super refined art and conscious effort that these real estate agents are making. I yeah. do think that everyone thinks, well, you spend more, you get more. And so it's really easy for us to, to be pushed in that direction. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, just one more thing on that. I think, you know, I mean, our listeners to this podcast certainly know this. Um, a lot of the folks that I write for are real estate agents here at Housing Wire. Um, but, you know, just to state the obvious, uh, real estate agents, or at least most of them, work entirely on commission and um, you know, do not draw a salary, draw a percentage of the sale of the home. Do you, how do you feel that that um, sort of economic incentive for the agent, it sounds like in the example you just gave that the agent, you know, really went to extraordinary lengths in, in terms of like providing, you know, service to the customer and even sort of nobly sort of upholding their fiduciary duty to the customer. Do you feel that commission-based pay for agents sort of dictates that, or do you feel that sort of agents would have behaved that way if it was more of traditional American economy salary model? It's a really interesting question. And I think the answer is complicated. Yeah. Um, there certainly is a lot of research that shows that real estate agents actually don't necessarily have a motivation to increase prices because most people are pretty limited in the amount that they can spend. And so, you know, this guy that I just described who says he wants to spend two million but ends up spending three million, mm -hmm. I think is not the typical home buyer in America who has a million dollars lying around that he can spend more on a house. Right. Most people have a pretty tight budget. It's dictated a lot by their uh, mortgage, right? Uh, their mm -hmm. bank says, this is the amount that we're willing to loan you. And so that's a pretty hard cap for a lot of people. And so by and large, what past research has shown is that real estate agents, what they do instead of trying to drive up prices on individual transactions is that they just try to do as many transactions as possible, right? Mm -hmm. So they're really interested in volume and speed in particular. They want houses to sell very quickly. They want transactions to happen fast. And so in some sense, we might think that's not really a problem. The market is the market and people are buying and selling as they want. On the other hand, there might be some drawbacks to the quickness with which these things happen. Housing, again, is this really important commodity and it grounds us in our daily life. And it might make a lot more sense to be as deliberative as possible in this decision. 
And so I think one thing the commission structure does do is facilitate a speedier market at a time when people might want to take more time to consider their options. Now, obviously, that's up to individual buyers and sellers and real estate agents. But I think that is one aspect of how our commission structure works right now. I think, you know, more directly to your question about would things be different if real estate agents got paid in a different way? I actually think the answer is yes. And you see this with the growth of flat rate commissions um, or Mm -hmm. buyers only brokerages, right? Which are doing the work of you're you're a buyer, you pay uh, a real estate agent $10,000, regardless of whatever the home price is going to be, or I mean, they do this for sellers as well. But these flat rate commission brokerages, I actually think are um, an interesting new model. And we'll see if they really take off. There's some research showing that they're actually not growing particularly quickly. Yeah. The supposition is that um, they, other real estate agents who work on commissions actually don't want to do deals with uh, flat rate brokerages uh, mm-hmm. because it, you know, it, it reduces the, the, the cost overall of the transaction and commissions more generally. But I do think it's an interesting model. I, I do hope that more consumers are aware of it because I think one thing that certainly consumers are not aware of is that commissions are in every state legally negotiable. I think people show up to a housing transaction and because it's a transaction that so few consumers take part in over their lives, you know, most Americans buy a house once or twice in their lives if they ever buy one. Yeah. And so we don't have a lot of familiarity with this transaction. And so a real estate agent tells us, well, you know, it's five or 6%. I split it with the other broker uh, and that's that. You know, I don't think people realize in a lot of ways, that's just a rote, right? That there's no rules, right? That say that Mm -hmm. that's what it has to be. And I do think that if we're going to have a commission-based market for real estate agents, we do need to educate consumers a little bit better about their options. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that discussion on commissions kind of gets into something I wanted to ask you about. Um, The the flat rate commission brokerage is is really interesting, Um, just playing the the $10,000 flat flat fee because the Justice Department, we're recording this the second uh, week of July. At the first day of July, the Justice Department uh, Antitrust Division, which has not, the Joe Biden administration has yet to name, I believe, um, or nominate even, uh, ahead of the Justice Department Antitrust Division, but they made an announcement that they are uh, withdrawing from a settlement that they made with the National Association of Realtors uh, last November. And at about four or five times in this press release uh, from the Justice Department saying that they're withdrawing from the settlement with the National Association of Realtors is the word commission. And Uh, The Justice Department is repeatedly saying in this, consumers are paying a lot of commissions and they say, I believe, $85 billion in commissions uh, consumers are paying in the U.S. each year to real estate agents. And so basically, by way of background, the settlement that the Justice Department reached with the NAR back in November was saying, hey, you need to disclose Uh, the commissions that you're making uh, to consumers. There was a question as to whether consumers even knew that uh, agents representing the home buyers knew of the commission 
that they were set to make, and uh, a couple of other rules, uh, mostly relating around transparency. And they want to look into the rules and policies uh, that the NAR has set regarding commissions. So with all that background in mind, um, what do you kind of make out of this announcement from the Justice Department? And and how do you think this might sort of reshape the you know thoughts you just had on, on commissions and, and how that may change going forward? I'll just say that when the initial DOJ complaint and uh, agreement was filed back last year, Mm -hmm. you know, it really rang true for me based on my own research, which is to say Mm -hmm. that there are plenty of examples that I have in my fieldwork of real estate agents who are representing buyers, meeting with buyers, going to open houses with them, and buyers asking real estate agents about how commissions work. And real estate agents, not necessarily being untruthful, but I think being relatively opaque about the process, Um, saying things like, well, don't worry, it's the seller that pays me, you know, don't worry, it's the final price, you don't have to worry about what a commission is like, because you're not actually paying it. But of course, that's not really the case, right? The, The commission is built, considered, right, and built into the price that the buyer is ultimately paying for the house. So I think that when I saw the initial complaint last year, I thought, yeah, you know, this makes sense. I think there probably need to be more stringent, more accurate, more careful language and rules around how commissions are communicated to particularly buyers. Uh, And so in some ways, I was very excited because, like I said, I think I saw examples of this constantly during my own field work. Uh, And there's a few passages in my book about this in particular where agents, I think, again, are not doing something bad, but I think want to build relationships with clients. And we know that talking about money, you know, is not always the best way to build a trust. (laughs) And so, and so, you know, I think real estate agents in their efforts to, you know, build a relationship with a client. So the client believes that they're doing uh, the best work for them, you know, don't want to dwell on payment, right? It's not a very um, friendly topic. Uh, and, and so again, right. I, it's not that I think agents are doing this in a sort of consciously bad way, but I think they do have some interest, right. In, in, in not necessarily always explaining the full, uh, um, uh, laws and rules about how commissions work. And so when I read this new, uh, the, the, the DOJ revoking, um, the agreement that they had made, you know, I think in some ways I, um, you know, it's a, it's, I, I'm, a, I'm excited to see what happens next, right? Because I think the yeah. language in the press release from uh, last week is that the idea was that the Department of Justice, like you said, wants to actually look a little bit harder um, and not prevent themselves from further litigation or investigation of NAR and commission practices. And ultimately, I think that's that's probably a good thing. I do believe that there needs to be a little bit more oversight uh, into commission practices. And like I said before, a lot more education for consumers about how commissions work. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I obviously don't know what the, what the DOJ is actually sort of up to and what they think they're going to be looking for a little bit more deeply. But if it's in the same vein as the agreement that they made, last year and the investigation that they did last year, I think ultimately it's, it's, it's probably probably beneficial for consumers because it seems like they're taking very seriously the idea that um, commissions are not benefiting 
clients in the way that we hope that they would, right? If we're paying real estate agents for a particular service, you know, we want them to be uh, uh, not only, you know, doing right by us, but I think also explaining the service uh, and the payment structure to us, you know, as accurately as possible. What What would you kind of like to see the DOJ investigate? I, I know that you've done some work with the New York State Legislature in terms of issues there around, you know, steering the, you know, the basically the idea of practices that can perpetuate a racial segregation. What kind of reforms would you like to see maybe on a national level regarding real estate? One thing that we suggested that New York State do is pour even just a little bit more money into the Secretary of State and the Attorney General's offices uh, to just conduct more audits of real estate markets and see where steering is more or less likely to occur. Because I think if we had a better sense of where it happens, we would know those are the places where we need to do more active targeting, more active uh, investigation, more active involvement in Mm -hmm. education and making sure that it happens less. And I should say, right, that so the Department of Housing and Urban Development does every 10 years do a major audit study across lots of different cities. But it, and it's usually a very, very good portrait of how steering is working in America. But I think we, we need more than that. I think individual states actually should be taking a, um, you know, a, a more forceful sort of bigger steps in terms of testing. Please. How did that uh, work exactly? Like I sort of maybe erroneously pictured in my mind, like, you know, New York state official, like posing as, as a potential home buyer or something and being undercover. But how, how does an audit actually work of real estate agents? So what happens usually when housing audits are done by nonprofits or by Newsday or by the government is they they hire people. They hire people who need jobs, um, not necessarily ones uh, who act already work for the government. Um, but they hire people of lots of different races and all different races. And they say, give them the same financial credentials, right? Um, yeah. They give them the same financial profiles and say, here are some things. And they train them and they say, here are the things that we want you to say when you go meet with your real estate agent, when you go meet with a real estate agent. And then they send them out to real estate agents and they say, um, say these things, tell them you make this amount of money, tell them you know, you're interested in this, these kinds of neighborhoods or these kinds of schools or whatever it might be and see how they react. And what people record then, they record the real estate agent's responses. More specifically, they record where they get shown houses, how much those houses are worth, right? Uh, and what those houses are like. And so they're paying a lot of attention to what real estate agents not only say about neighborhoods and neighborhood quality, and whether there's any sort of racial tinge to that language, but also the demographics of the neighborhoods that the real estate agents say, here's where we should look for you. And they look to see if there are any differences across people by race. Mm. And like I said, you know, this is a, it's a, a relatively common and consistent finding that Real estate agents steer white home buyers away from neighborhoods of color. They steer home buyers of color generally away from white neighborhoods. Uh, and they do this without the testers having said that they want to live in a same race neighborhood. Um, even if a buyer does say that they want to live in a neighborhood that's predominantly the same race as them, the yeah. real estate agent is not supposed to respond. The real estate agent is supposed to tell them, I can't facilitate that kind of sale, right? right? I cannot facilitate that kind of search. Mm -hmm. That is not my job. In fact, it's illegal if I did. Um, And like I was saying before, I think real estate agents don't necessarily have great ways of responding to these kinds of questions, which I think is part of the problem. Uh, Mm -hmm. But that's generally what a test, an audit of a housing market looks like. 
And so I think we definitely want more of that. We want more yeah. testing because I think it will illuminate a little bit better where the problems are. The last thing that we suggested that I mm -hmm. think is actually the most transformational in some ways is we have laws on the books right now that mortgage brokers have to report everything that happens with their applications, right? So if you're a mortgage bank, you have to make a report to the federal government every time someone applies for a mortgage and the outcome of that mortgage. And you collect data on the demographics of that person, their race, their gender, uh, how much money they make. And this actually has done a really good job of allowing the government to see where discrimination is happening, right? Because they have all of this aggregate data to be able to say, well, it looks like Black home buyers are getting denied at a higher rate despite having equal you know, financial finances as white home buyers. Or mm -hmm. women buyers are getting discriminated, right? Are not getting mortgages at the same rate as individual male buyers, you know, questions like that. And it's done, I think, a very good job. It's been a boon, certainly, for researchers. And I think a, a, a proactive uh, Department of Justice has also can do a good job of regulating you know, these uh, uh, mortgage banks a little bit better. Mm. I think what we want is something similar for real estate agents, where real estate agents don't have to report on any of their interactions with their clients right now. I mean, they do yeah. internally to their own brokerages, but there's no federal or states that, you know, federal mandate or state mandate that uh, requires real estate agents to tell you, tell us, tell the public, right, or tell the government, you know, this is the race of the person that came to me. These are the houses that I showed them. You know, this is the cost, right? Uh, this were, these were their financial profiles. And I think if we simply even just had that data, it would be fantastic in terms of being able to tell where discrimination is more or less happening, if it is happening at all, right? Mm -hmm. And what real estate agents need in terms of making their work less discriminatory and easier for them. Uh, and so what we propose for New York State, and there is a law working its way through the uh, state legislature right now, is that real estate agents would have to report on the demographics of their clients. We'll see yeah. if it actually makes it into law. My hope certainly is that it does. And if it does, I hope it can serve for a model for the federal government uh, to more generally uh, collect this kind of data and, and do this kind of regulation, I think, in a more um, uh, straightforward and, and clear way. This has been um, a really great conversation, at least I thought, hopefully our audience agrees. Um, yeah, I guess before we go, just curious, uh, you know, you wrote Upsold, um, you know, like like you said, sort of the, the post-Great Recession recovery in the housing market when there were a ton of big cities, including New York City, where home prices just boomed. Home prices are continuing to boom. Real estate agents are continuing to get at least uh, a piece of that, um, you know, economic transaction. Um, just again, bef before we go, any sort of parting thoughts about kind of the future of the real estate agent? Like if you were to write, you know, upsold the sequel five years from now or, you know, a year from now, like any changes that, that you might anticipate? Well, one thing that I would very want, much want to answer a little bit better than I did, I think, in, in the first book, in Upsold, is this really interesting statistic that, you know, more and more people continue to use real estate agents. And, yeah. you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, with the rise of websites like Craigslist or Zillow, 
you know, uh, where you can post real estate um, advertisements outside of a multiple listing service, you know, and you don't necessarily need a real estate agent who has access to a multiple listing service to tell you about available houses, you would think that maybe that percentage of people using real estate agents would go down because people are thinking, consumers are thinking, well, I can do this on my own. But we've seen the percentage of housing transactions using a real estate agent actually continue to climb over the past 20 years. And so, you know, it's a... I don't think I did a great job in the book of figuring out why that's the case. I think there are a lot of reasons, certainly. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them have to do, again, with, I think, the the increasing price of housing. I think as housing continues to cost more and more for individual families, it seems to us as a bigger transaction, a more weighty transaction, a yeah, really nice important. one. And we want, you know, we want the help of a real estate agent to sort of sort all of this out. And obviously, real estate agents also often provide us with connections to brokers or real estate attorneys and all the other you know actors that are necessary for completing a housing transaction. And so that's one part of it is I think that um, housing prices as they've ballooned um, make us, you know, understandably as consumers anxious uh, and we want help with the process. So, you know, that's maybe one reason. I think there's some evidence, um, I'd have to look again, but I think that there's some evidence that interfamily housing sales have actually gone down. Hmm. Um, and those are sales that, you know, would presumably not necessarily require a real estate agent. And as that percentage of housing transactions has gone down, probably the use of real estate agents has gone up at the same time. Uh, and so I think, again, there's a lot of reasons why this percentage continues to go up, the overall percentage of transactions that use real estate agents. Um, but I think it's a really, really interesting question. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm going to answer it, but if there are, you know, some enterprising researchers listening to the podcast, I would say I think that's that's a really fascinating place that I would want to see uh, sort of the next step go. Well, Max Bespris, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate all your insights. Uh, people go out and read Upsold. And uh, yeah, I really appreciated this talk. It was my pleasure. Now more than ever, the housing industry is looking to its leaders for answers. That's why each week, the Housing News Podcast invites a new mortgage, fintech, or real estate executive to the show to provide its listeners with more perspective on the announcements and news stories crossing HousingWire's news desk. Hosted by Sarah Wheeler and produced by Alcina Lloyd, the Housing News Podcast is now available on iTunes, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode and we'll catch everyone back here again tomorrow.